2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is our third, I think our final, I think, our final week on the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11, we will read. Wherefore we labor that whether absent, present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the remembrance of your son this morning, the remembrance of his broken body and his precious shed blood. We thank you, Lord, that we're saved, blood-bought, blood-washed and redeemed. We thank you, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness, you drew us to the cross to show us our need of him. Father, thank you for your great plan of salvation and redemption. Lord, help us as believers to, Lord, to strive in our lives to bear something and to bring something, not for our salvation, but for our service to thee. Help us to be found faithful in your sight. Glorify your son, glorify your own name, and may your spirit move upon us this morning. Teach us, Lord. Show us, reveal to us more about Jesus. And Lord, for those that are weak, would you strengthen them? Those that are down, would you lift them? Those that are sick, would you heal them? Those that are wayward, would you draw them? Those that are cold, would you warm them? And we pray, O God, this morning, even this day be over, may men and women be edified in the faith and built up. And Lord, we pray that if there's any here who has fallen away in heart, fallen away in deed, went into the world, that you draw them again. Father, if there's one that's come in this morning unsaved, we pray that you would save their souls and glorify your own worthy name. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not going to do a big recap of the last two mornings because we take up our morning and we want to move on and possibly get finished this morning on this subject. There's so much of it. And last week, we left you, though, around Luke chapter 19. Now, we're not going to read it. I'm going to just tell you where we were, and we'll move on from it. And if you remember, from the outset, I've said this the last two Sunday mornings on this subject. I want to say it again. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is not, I repeat, that is not the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. It is not that. Here, this judgment seat or the beam seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 is for the believer. It's for the believer. 
where we will be judged as according to our service, our work, our fruitfulness for Christ. Revelation 20 is for the unsaved. So the unsaved will not be in the the judgment seat of Christ. They will not be there, but the believer will. In Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment, the believer will not be there, but the unbeliever will be there. And after the judgment seat, that is in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne, then those who are not found, whose names are not found written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. So here this morning, remember, this is not about your salvation, but about your service. It's not about your redemption, but about your reward. Okay? So we're, we're clear on that every morning. If you're a believer, you're saved by grace. We are not saved by any works whatsoever. We're saved by grace through faith. But being saved, we serve because we love him, because he's our master. Luke 19, we read last week and looked at how the Lord tells a parable, and we're looking at, remember, reward and even loss at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And we see here that there is another, uh, looking, uh, another way to look at it where the Lord says he was as a man who gave his servants a pound each. And the first one at the coming again of the man, speaking of himself, Lord, going away and returning again. The man says, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. So the first one says, you give me a pound while you were away, and your pound has gained 10 pounds. And the master, or meaning himself, says that he was faithful, and he would be, have authority over 10 cities. Notice authority, reward over 10 cities. The second one, given a pound, said, Lord, thy pound has gained five pounds. Five pounds. And the Lord again says, because he was faithful, I'm paraphrasing for time, he would have authority over five cities. And the third man came and says, Lord, thy pound, I knew thou were an austere man or a steer man. And I wrapped it in a napkin and hid it, but here's your pound. He didn't steal it, he didn't spend it, but he wrapped it up and he buried it. And then we're told that the master says these words. He says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 24, notice he says that the man would lose his pound. The man with one pound who buried the pound. He says he would lose his pound, take it from him, And he gives it to the man who had a pound which made 10 pounds. So now the man who's had one pound that made 10, he now has 11. Authority again over 11. And the man with the one city or the one pound has nothing. He lost at the return or at the beam of seat of Christ. So we looked at that and we thought, well, if the Lord is such an, an austere man, and, or a hard man, it means. You're rough and you're hard. Then he doesn't really know the Lord at all, did he? Because we know to serve him is to serve him in love because he first loved us. I want to look at Revelation chapter 2, please. I'm going to just mention some scriptures, going to quote these out because we just haven't time to go through them. But Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 into chapter 3, there are seven letters written to seven churches 
which were in Asia Minor. And look what it says in chapter 2. Let your eye run down, please, to verse 7. Notice, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Notice, To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. There's reward. Okay? Verse 11 of chapter 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Notice, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death or reward of salvation. We'll look at it, God willing, in a little moment. Verse 26, then again, the Lord says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. There's reward to him. Chapter 3, please, and verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Here's our reward. Verse 12. To him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name. Notice he's speaking to a certain people, an overcoming people. And then if we go to verse 21, to him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. So we're seeing overcoming, overcoming. And people are now saying, if you're saved, we overcome them by the blood of the Lamb. And I agree 100% with you. But there's more to it for reward. There's more to that. Not salvation, I said again. Not redemption. There's more to it. Revelation chapter 12 And verse 11, we all know it. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Now notice, we have to take it in its totality. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Who's washed in the blood this morning? Who's washed in the blood, trusting in the blood? Look all over. So we're overcome by the blood. Now we move on from this. Notice, we're covered in the blood so if you have, if you're been washed in the blood, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the saved, you can write there. The saved or the redeemed. In other words, they overcoming the devil. They overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. I was on this a few weeks ago. The word testimony is the word martyria. Martyria. And it's where we get our word martyr from, a martyr. So the martyria spirit is in the man and woman. Martyr isn't just to die for your faith. That is part of it. People have died in their millions for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. But that's not all it means. It means to have a martyr spirit is a spirit of witness, a spirit of witness. 
And so when you witness, you have a martyr spirit through trial and trouble, tribulation, heartaches and ups and downs and tribulations. It's a spirit of witness in you. That's the martyria spirit. So notice here, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, that is the saved overcome the devil. And by the word of their testimony, that means they are sanctified through the word. In other words, the word lives in them and they live by the word. And they are martyrs in the sense of living a death for Christ that he might live through us. That we die to self and Christ lives in us and through us. So you can put there the sanctified. We have the saved, we have the sanctified. And here it is overcoming the world. Overcoming the world. And then the rest of the verse, and they love not their lives unto the death. Notice, you can write there, the sealed. These people were sealed. They were saved, sanctified, and sealed. Here they are, the sealed, or if you want, they're overcoming the flesh. They're overcoming the flesh. So here we find that even from the man with the pounds and the authority given for those who have uh, been laboring with the pounds and they have grown it to ten cities, to five cities. So why don't you pray sometime? Because I prayed it from these last lot of weeks from this came to this end. And, and remember, it comes to me first. I've said, Lord, I want to be able to stand before you in that day and hand you your pound, as it were, Lord, but hand you a pound with 10 pounds or five pounds, even two pounds. Help me to do so. Ask the Lord to show you where your labor must be, where your faithfulness must lie, what fruit you should be bringing forth. And in John 15, the Lord Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is a husbandman. And then he goes on about talking about the branches that are in him. If he abide in me, he shall bear fruit. And if you read that chapter, read it when you go home. There's fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Notice, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. What is that fruit? Is it just by doing ritual? Absolutely not. What is that fruit? Is it just simply by going to church? No, it's not, although that's part of it. That fruit, I believe, is found in Galatians chapter 6. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And we can go on with it. The nine fruit of the Spirit. And so ask the Lord to help you to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And that is the fruit when we're abiding in Christ when we're living for him and living in him and he's living in us, then we are abiding and the fruit will produce much fruit. You can have fruit, much fruit, and more fruit and much fruit. And it shows you that there's different levels of this. Turn with me, please, if you will. Now you're going to have to forgive me this morning because I've said this a couple of mornings and I'm going to do it. I'm going to open my heart to a particular thoughts of mine. I'm not dogmatic on it. I have to say it. I'm not dogmatic, but I see it. And I would say I believe it, but I won't be dogmatic in this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let your eye run right down the chapter, please. To verse 23. Verse 23. Paul writes, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Would you say order? So, he, Paul's telling us, but every man in his own order. See the word order there? It's a word tasso. English rendering T-A-S-S-O. Do you know what it means? It gives the idea of a troop. A certain class. Every man in their troop Every man and woman in in their certain class, in their arrangement. That's what it means. Troop, class, arrangement. Here's what it also means, in their cohort. In their cohort. So Paul is telling us there are certain troops, cohorts, classes and arrangements, even at resurrection and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some might say, well, Christ is the first fruits. He, he was dead and he was raised to die no more. 100%, and that's right. And then, he'll, then some will say, well, and then when he comes back, everybody goes up. Uh, they're all caught up and they're all changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and, and so on. And, and that is a part of the doctrine. But I think there's more to it than that. I think there's more to it than that. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14, if you flick back just for me, and verse 40, I'm going to build a little case up this morning to show you. I believe this is part of the reward. The very last verse of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done. And it's the same word. It can be uh, cohort in their troop, in their arrangement. And the word here, it gives the idea, it's slightly different where it's the word taxis, but it's the same root, T-A-X-I-S. It's the same root word. So now let's look at this for a moment. I know this is like a Bible study this morning, but I want you to try and get this because it helps me. It refreshes me when I refresh myself in these things. For example, let all things be done decently, and in order. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, if you were to uh, go back to uh, 1 Corinthians, actually just a couple of chapters back, 11 and the 12, and then in the 13, you're going to start finding Paul starts in 11, starts talking about the breaking of bread and the order of it. He gives us a commentary that he's received from heaven, the order of it. And then he comes on into the rest of the chapters, For example, look at chapter 12. Spiritual gifts and their order. In other words, Paul is telling us here, now I consent to many spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. And then he goes into mentioning the manifestation of the Spirit in the spiritual gifts. And he mentions nine 
spiritual giftings. Now, by the time we get to chapter 13, he's put another order in. For example, chapter 13 and verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. In other words, Paul now is putting love above the gifts. It's it's an order in their cohort. Can you see it? It's the same idea. All things must be done decently and in order, in their arrangement, in their troop, in their cohort. And stay with me, please, on this, because I want you to catch this when we go further into this. And so when Paul is saying this, what is the order? For example, everyone fixates on speaking with other tongues. So Paul is saying here that the tongues would be one or at the most two with one interpreting. Is not right? That's the order. One two, at the most three, with the one interpreting. And so Paul sets, as it were, the order. It's the same order, the same word that he's speaking of. All things be done decently in order. Then that is set in an order because that, if you have no love, he says, that's no good. If you don't love, forget about your spiritual gifts. Don't come to me with your spiritual gifts if your heart's as hard as stone. So what we're looking at here is the, the order of things. The order of things. And by the way, while we're just into chapter 14, verse 1, follow after charity. He tells us to follow after love and desire spiritual gifts. Can I ask you something, brother? Do you desire spiritual gifts? Sister, do you desire spiritual gifts? The Bible tells us to desire them. I know some are told that they're not no longer in use, but Paul is saying, desire them. Let me just, by the way, while we're here, for example, in verse 5, listen to what Paul says about speaking with other tongues. I would that ye all speak with tongues, he said. I would that ye all speak with tongues, Paul said. And people say, well, that's just a foreign language, so let's put it into modern-day language, like Spanish and German and Uh, and maybe French. If that's all it is, if that's all it is, verse 13 says, wherefore let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. So if you're being, if if it's just say French, Spanish or German, in Paul's day it would have been Latin or Greek or Aramaic, Hebrew. And if that's all it is, he says, that speaketh in an unknown tongue, pray that he may interpret it. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what Paul is saying is here, well, if you're going to speak in an unknown tongue, you need another gift. Ask the Lord to give you the gift of interpretation. So I'm going to speak in a tongue that's really French, German, or Spanish, and then interpret to myself. And then whenever we go to verse 18, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. This is Paul saying this. It's Paul saying I speak 
Latin or Greek or Aramaic more than everybody else, even though I don't know what I'm speaking? Of course he's not. And for example, if you go right to the end of the chapter before our verse in verse 39, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. He's telling the church this is not an apostolic gift for the apostolic band, for the apostolic only. He's telling the church, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. Desire spiritual gifts? No, he's saying covet that you might prophesy. Covet it that you might prophesy. Notice, and here he says then, forbid not to speak with tongues. Is Paul saying here, you're not to speak French, German, or Spanish? Is that what he's saying? Really? Of course he's not. Of course he's not. So he's saying, but let all things be done decently and in order. In other words, in their cohort. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11. Let your eye run down to verse 35, please. Notice what it says here. Women received their dead raised to life again and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Well, that's the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine out the window already, isn't it? Notice, they received their dead raised to life again and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection. Sure, when Christ comes, the dead in Christ rise first. Is it not everywhere? Boom, just all at once. And you see pictures of all these people flying through the air and all sort of stuff. Is that what it is? Some might think that the better resurrection here is an earthly resurrection. They're not being raised now, but they will be raised when Christ returns. And that may be so. And that will happen, by the way. But we're told throughout the Scriptures of better resurrection. We're told throughout the Scriptures of better resurrection. Revelation chapter 20, please. You might say, well, what has this got to do with the judgment seat of Christ? Because I've told you I'm open in my heart, I believe, that this has everything to do with it. Revelation chapter 20, please. Verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of a bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil, and Satan bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him and he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Notice they were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. These martyrs. Now, if if the church is so-called a way up to heaven... Why can, there be witness, why can these be witnesses for Jesus if they're secretly whisked off to heaven? 
and they're left on the earth. How can they be witnesses for Jesus? Note this, and for the word of God, and had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark on his forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now note here, take note. They're living and reigning with Christ. Living and reigning with Christ. There's reward. They're living and reigning with Christ. But the rest of the dead, notice, live not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So from chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to uh, the end of verse 4, we see these resurrected saints reigning with Christ, receiving reward from Christ. And now in the very next chapter, this says this, what we have read, is the first resurrection. Now let's read on just a few more verses, please. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Time's sake, let your eye run down to verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those, judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell, or the grave that is, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the great white throne judgment for the unbeliever. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So brothers and sisters, let's go back again then to 1 Corinthians chapter 23. There are those who have been lost. There are those who are lost and unsaved and in the lake of fire at the great white throne judgment but there are those who already have the reward and are living and reigning with Christ. Living and reigning with Christ. Revelation chapter 15. Pardon me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pardon me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, please. But every man in his own order. There's the word, right? Cohort. Every man in his own class. Man is a generic term, men and women. In his own class, in his own troop. Let me give you one verse here. Stay where you are. I'm going to give you a verse to show this word for order again. In Luke 1 and verse 8, it says, And it came to pass that while... He, that is Zacharias, who would be John the Baptist's father, executed the priest's office before God. Notice, in the order of his course. In the order of his course. It's the same term. See, what they had, they had so many priests. They had the Aaronic line, which was the high priest. And all of the Levitical tribes, they had priests where they would have served in the temple in their order, in their course. There were so many 
And they served in their order, in their course. And as they served, Zacharias was one of them. In other words, not once in a life. Cohort. This is your time for serving. Sometimes they only got doing it once in a lifetime. It was a big thing to them. And what's happening here? Why do you, why do you feel the Holy Spirit has put it into the pen of Luke here? Because he's showing him of the, the order of the office. It was Zacharias' cohort time. He was in this troop of priests. They would move on and more would come in. And the high priest lineage would have stayed. Okay, so let's look again then. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. But every man in his own order, notice, not in any order, his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Okay. When we read 1 Corinthians, we have in time verses, well, read the whole chapter, but verses 34 to 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 34 to 58. Paul tells us of different bodies. Different bodies. Let me just read a couple of bits and pieces. For example, if you look at verse 37, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat of some other grain, but God giveth it a body. Notice, God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased him to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds, and there are celestial bodies. And he goes on and on, and he's doing this to say there's bodies, different types of bodies, as it were, all over. And they're in their own cohort, their own batch, their own kind. And then he speaks of the resurrection of Christ. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it's raised in spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And I believe it here, this is where Second Corinthians 5 and 10 is, we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. That we will all give an account for the deeds that we have done in the body. So there will be those who are in certain cohorts at resurrection. Certain troops for reward. I don't believe this. Everybody just goes up together. I don't know how long it'll be. I don't know how God will do it. I believe there will be certain cohorts taken up for reward or for loss. First Corinthians, pardon me, Second Corinthians five. So I promised you I'd open up my heart a little bit. There's some things you preach and some things you don't. Some things you should, and maybe some things you shouldn't. That's why we're always saying to you, come on, go on with God. Be faithful in the service. You know, I I still believe that you can't live wrong and die right. First Corinthians 5, please. I wonder, did you ever think about this? Verse 1. 
For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice, for, we, for in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. This is resurrection. This is glorification of the body. I believe this is reward. You see, whenever we read John chapter 14, uh, uh, and it's usually read at, at funeral services, listen, John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Brothers and sisters, that's not really for that moment in time. I believe this is what Paul is speaking about. Have you ever read in the scriptures where Adam lived? I don't mean the location. Did he live in a house? Do we read of Adam's mansion? Do we read of Adam was in the garden and he lived in a palatial palace? Did he live in a castle? The scriptures tells us none of it. Just about Adam. Doesn't even mention a house, an abode, somewhere where he went at night and closed his doors and went to bed. Scriptures doesn't tell us about that. Paul's telling us of a house to be clothed with. Jesus is saying, my father's house are many mansions. I believe they're one and the same thing. At the return of Christ, there will be those who will receive houses or mansions. That is, an individuality rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, Adam lost, as it were, his garment of light. Adam lost the righteousness that he had. Adam lost everything, became carnal. He became human, as it were, like you and I. But in Christ, it will all be brought back to us again. That's your house. seat of your mansion. It's, a, it's at the judgment seat of Christ. But I want to ask you, what will it be like for you and me? If I can just bring two pounds back. Lord, if I can serve you and be faithful to you and be fruitful in the ministry. If I can be a witness and a martyria for you in this life, even if it was a death. Lord, I want to bring something to you. Many, many people think it's a walk up an aisle and you're saved. Or they think it's a lift up of a hand and you're saved. Or you say a nice wee prayer and you're saved. It's none of it. It's the word of God entering the heart. Now I was saved in an appeal. I have nothing against that, by the way. I was saved in an appeal, so thank the Lord for it because I wouldn't have knew what to do next. But it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with the word of God Entering the heart. Entering in and changing the man and the woman. And you see the change in the inside. I personally, this is my personal heart to you. I believe the inside of the heart, according to the word, living in love with Christ. I believe that will be part of the reward and your obedience in it. How it changes you. See if a man and woman are saved are professing salvation and they're not changed in the heart, in the mind, in the thinking, in their ways. I'm not saying perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us are. We don't believe in sinless perfection till Christ returns. We're not perfectly sinless, but we could perfectly well sin less. 
But a man or a woman says there's no change in the heart. You can tell when someone's saved. That's why by their fruits you shall know them know how. By their speech, by their walk, by their actions, by their martyr spirit. And the church has lost a lot of the martyr spirit. They've lost it. They're afraid of big government. And they're afraid of being upset by someone outside, what they might say or what they might do or what they might think of us. And I believe with all of my heart that what's in you, the seed of eternal life, that grips you and changes you from the inside out. And if there's no change, there's no Christ. And if there's no Christ, there will be no change. And he changes your desires and he changes your heart. He's not looking at you to see what foot you kick with, as we say in Northern Ireland. He doesn't look at you to see if you grew up in a Protestant or a Catholic background or another background. He doesn't look at you to see, you know, oh, I know him. And, oh, look at him. He, he's, a, he's a great loyal Ulster man. Or that's, a, that's a, a, an Irish Republican I can see. If, or, the Lord isn't interested in that. The Lord's interested is, are you washed in the blood? And are you saved and serving and overcoming? Brothers and sisters, hate and bitterness. I'm talking about hate and bitterness in the heart. We will stand for that idle word, remember? Stand for the idle word and give an account. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They give an account of the deeds done in the body. Let me try and just close this. And this will be our last morning on this. So, Paul is earnestly desiring to be clothed with his house. He's talking about, and he's the one who speaks of, to have a better resurrection. And if we're all in our cohort at what point of the resurrection are we? The dead will rise first. Then we which are alive remain. And some people might think that's the cohort. Well, but I think as we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, my job, my calling is to try and feed you that the word of God will change you. If the word of God doesn't change you, nothing will. Brother, sister, If the word of God doesn't change you, nothing will. The word of God sets the captive free. And the word of God entering the heart saves the soul because they cannot resist the drawing of the Holy Ghost. If the word of God doesn't change you, if he doesn't change your husband, sister, or your your wife, brother, or, or whoever else, if the word of God doesn't change you to be wanting to live well, to live right, to be stalwart for Christ. If there's, the, the church has fell asleep. The church has rolled up into the ball and, and as it were, it's bemoaned itself and bewailed itself and it's like, a, it's like a, a wet face flopping on the side of the riverbank waiting to breathe its last breath. See, is that what we are? Is that what we are? talking to Glenn on Friday night and he said something to me and I agreed 100% and I said you're 100% right Glenn he says I just don't want to go to church tired of it 
Come on, go to church. Says I was dying for quite some time, just going along, clocking my card and going to church. Is this what we do? Is this what it is, just church? Shouldn't be just church, you know what it is? It's gathering on the Shiloh. It's coming around the man Christ Jesus. It's living our lives for him, with him, and him through us. It should be the word of God telling us, you're not living right. You need to change this. Your heart is went like this. Or you have been wrong or angry or bitter at the wrong person at the wrong time. You need to put that right. Because many Christians just, they don't do that. What about when you're somewhere and you're in secret? Let me just call it in secret. What about when you have the, you know, that, place, that place of secret? And it's not meant to be a secret place of prayer but rather it's not the secret place of prayer. Rather, your secret place is you go and do the things you know you shouldn't be doing. And you talk the way you know you shouldn't be talking. And you think no one else sees and no one else hears. Everything's all right. You know what? No, it's wrong. We have lost the reality. We have lost the reality. And we'll speak about some of this tonight. Go on. We have lost the reality of Christ. We have lost the, the conviction of the Spirit. We have lost the obedience to the Word of God. You know, if you were in work and something was there and you thought, nobody would see me, I could have that. Whatever it is. Sure. I'm sitting there. Do you know your boss, you'd be able to, she'd feel confident as a, as a blood-washed believer. Your boss, she'd feel confident that whenever you go somewhere, if he could leave you, he could leave you in an office, in a room, in a store, and there's nothing you would take that shouldn't be in your pocket. You know why? Because conviction of the Spirit in you, because you love Christ, and because you love him, you will not disobey him that thou shalt not steal. All of this, I mean all of it, and how we live, how we speak, how we act, is all going to be stood before us and brought before us at the bema or the judgment seat of Christ. And hence, I'm always saying, come on, church. Come on, because I hate religiosity. I hate the stuffy, stuffiness of it. I detest it. And I said to Glenn, I agree with you, Glenn. I don't want just church all the time, just church. It's like, you know, it's like you put a, a cart behind you all the time going up a hill with no wheels. It's just church. And I've told him, I've said, see, in our meetings, we haven't arrived there yet. God's blessing us. Oh, I definitely, God's moving. God's evident that his spirit is here, but we aren't there yet. I've, I said that to you on Friday night. I said, Glenn, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But I want to be there. So I'll close. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul is saying we're manifest before God. My heart and who I am 
before him matters. And so in your conscience, in your conscience, you see me, as Paul says, that I love Christ and I want to serve him. I want the best for you, Corinthian church. See the term, the terror of the Lord? It's the word phobos for terror. It's where we get phobia from. Afraid of spiders, arachnophobia, you know. We're always hearing of homophobia and Islamophobia and other sorts of phobias. What about bibliophobia? You know what that is? Many Christians have bibliophobia. Phobia. They're afraid to the live the word. They're afraid to read the word and live it. Notice here. Paul is saying that those of us who are saved, the phobia of terror is no longer ours. But that is why we persuade others who don't know Christ. Don't know Christ. We don't hate people. I don't hate anyone. I don't hate them because of their religion. That would be wrong. I don't hate them because of their color. That's wrong. I don't hate anyone. I hate certain things and actions. Definitely. And we persuade them to come. We persuade them because we know, we know the terror of the Lord. But the church has told everyone he's like a big daddy Santa Claus in the heavens. will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So believer, every one of us here, all CET and any visitors all along here, along the back, along here, every one of you, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? We're going to get our lives right. We're going to start seeking God to have a, 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 a passion and a fervor about ourselves. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What are you all? What are you along the back there too? Over there at the back. What are you all going to do about it? Are you going to live for Christ? What are you over here? What are you all going to do about it? The judgment seat of Christ. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to live your life? I'm not condemning you. I'm trying to encourage you to encourage you to go on in Christ? Will you put your own comforts and your own luxuries, would you put your own loves, bring it down the list, where Christ has been relegated to what you want to do next, to what you want to be in your own life? Listen, if we as a church were able to say, Lord, we're laying it at the the foot of your, your cross, we're bringing it to you to leave it with you, I believe, see all the people in here this morning, and all our friends who are away and brothers and sisters who are away over this next way for holidays. See, if we all got together and we says, well, I'm putting you first. In other words, I'll be at the prayer meeting, Lord, to seek your face. I'll be in the closet to seek your face. I'll be at the reading of your word in the mornings when I get up. I'll be in the house of God where you've planted me and not be running all over the place on Sundays. I'll be there. Or I'll be there serving you. I'll get involved. I'll do that. But I'll give you my heart above all other things. See, if we all could do that, I I believe that the Lord would bring revival. 
But you know what the problem is? Everyone will say, wow, that was challenging today. Or some will say, wow, that really, you know, that really helped me today. Or others will say, wow, you really offended me today. Or others will say, I didn't really agree with him today. But see if we did. See, the time you go home, I believe there's starting to be revival in the land. Let me tell you this while, just before we ask the team to come up, let me tell you this, what happened on Wednesday night. So we're singing. Andrew had brought a great Bible study for us. You could sense just the Lord really encouraging his people and with a great Bible study and we started singing. And later on, people were praying, people were just praying and praying and praying. Is that right, Ronnie? Just praying away. And this is what happened. So I'm standing here. And there's a ministry and tongues came. So I'm standing back here. I had no interpretation. Big, long pause. I mean, a long pause. I had nothing to give. And then Glenn gave it. And the Spirit spoke and brought us back to the cross. About the blood, just brought us straight. And it was powerful. Just, it's just like, as if he just grabbed us and drew us right to the cross. And you could feel the anointing gathering. Getting stronger. But in that break, if I'm going to give an interpretation of another tongue. This is what way sometimes would come to me, different times. Sometimes I would be carrying something before the meeting starts. And it's in my breath. In my, I, I'm carrying it. Or other times it would come and I would get a scripture, I start speaking it and it flows. I'd even see something in my mind's eye like a vision and I would speak on it. And then it just happens to flow. And after it's over, I can't remember a word it was said. Rodney would record it and send it to us. Wednesday night was here, and I had nothing, and suddenly, right in my mind's eye, like a vision came, the woman with the alabaster box pouring it out, the oil out, the fragrance. Remember over the Lord's head, the fragrance filled the room where he was, it says. So I thought, here's the interpretation came, and I went to go and give the interpretation, and I felt, stop. This is not the interpretation. So I stood. Didn't go near the microphone so people could hear me. Didn't say anything. Then Glenn gave the interpretation. What I didn't know then is we stood forward, started to worship the Lord. And there was such a sense of his presence in the meeting. When I went home, I was laying in bed. Can I use your name? Jennifer. Well, I've already told everybody now anyway sent me a message what a night Jennifer had a bad back she was sitting down certain song him came and started singing and she stood up and she wasn't in pain she was standing for a long time and I noticed her standing just worshipping from her heart it's like Kathy was beside her and she said to me I smelt a fragrance in the meeting I said, okay. And she mentioned flowers. And we were talking about earlier about flowers. I know nothing about flowers either. Flowers and football, that's me finished. And she didn't know. No one knew what I'd seen in my mind's eye, like a vision in front of me. And you know me. I'm not into all. I don't. I believe too many people eat too much cheese sandwiches, you know, and they get these dreams and stupid things. I'm not into all that. You know that. But I'm a Pentecostal. I've seen this, and I didn't tell anyone. 
didn't tell Alison when I went home. I got the message. She says, I smell flowers. What do you mind, mimosa? Mimosa and roses. I, I know what a rose is. I have no idea what a mimosa is. And she said to Kathy, and Kathy said, yes, I do. So they went to Alison and says, was anybody spraying air freshener? Alison says, no. In fact, if you'd smell anything, you'd put the heating on, there's a bit of diesel in the air. And Alison never mentioned to me, uh, the Alison, I'm lying in bed, and the message comes. And then she says, but this is what it was like. It was like the woman who broke the alabaster box. I've got her message on my phone. Poured it over the Lord's head and the fragrance filled the room. She says, that's what it was like to me. And I went, wow. Because that's what I saw in the meeting. That's what I saw in the meeting. And the amount of people who are saying, what is God doing? Because he just keeps on turning up. I believe God has an anointing, not only a reward, but he has an anointing that he wants to anoint with, but he's looking vessels to fill. He's looking for vessels to fill. Do you want to be one of those vessels? Because I do. Because I do. I'll tell you something personal. During the week, I went to the hospital to see Pastor McConnell. He was very, very frail, very weak. And he says, pull that chair up. And I pulled the chair up beside him. He says, tell me what you were preaching. No, he says, uh, did you preach the message on Sunday you were going to preach? I said, I did. He took me by the hand and he says, son, God's with you. I said, well, he's been faithful, thank you. I says, but I remember one time you brought me into work and you anointed me with oil and you prayed an office over me of prophecy. And I've held on to that for, for, forever from you've done that. And he says, well, he started, and this is a man seriously, critically ill. This is the heart. This is what I mean. Many of us would, some of us maybe be cursing and swearing because you don't want to be in hospital or dying. He pulled me with all the strength he had halfway up the bed. He laid his hands on me and he said, he just put his hand right on me. He started praying for me. And this is what he said. And he started to prophesy. In his bed, his deathbed. Let this anointing increase greater and greater and greater, he says. Lord, mark this in heaven. Write it in the book this day that it will be marked that this man here is anointed of your spirit. And he flopped back. And he prayed for me a second time. That was Monday. Wednesday, I see this, and I got that message. And I'm praying, Lord, what are you saying to us? 
What are you saying to us? What are you telling us? You know what he told me? He says, son, be ready to take your stand. He says, be ready to take your stand. I said, I will. He says, I know you are, but be ready to take your stand. And this is what he says. You'll find yourself on platforms and before people who will not listen, but preach the word only. I'm gleaning of these times I'm with him. See, T, what about us? What about us? Can we get rid of the shackles that we carry? The burdens that we have? Can we gather strength in God and say, Lord, I want to be sold out for you? I mean sold out. What if God said to you, you have to give your house up and go away to the mission field? Would you do it? What if God says to you, I want you to give everything you have away, go to the mission field? Would you do it? What if God says, I want you to get rid of all your belongings? What if he said, I want you to take your belongings, sell them and give it to the poor? Would you do it? I mean, if he told you to read your bank balance out, your bank account out, would you do it? Not the one we giving it to here. We'll take a tithe if you want, but you give it to here, or don't give it to here. But if the Lord says to you, would you do it? What if the Lord says, I want you to sell your house, I want you to give all your possessions, give it away, get rid of your car, everything you have, I'm going to put you on a mission field, or I'm going to put you in a smaller dwelling, but I'll be with you. I'm going to put you in a hovel, but I'll be with you. Church, would you do it? That's what it's like when the rubber hits the road. Oh, I'll do it all right. Well, what if the Lord says, well, then I'll take it from you from today. Ah, it's different, doesn't it? Now, where's the church today then? The Lord said to me one time, when we had a whole house just renovated, everything was in it, we rented about two or three months, and the Lord said to me, I want you to give everything you have, take everything you have, give your car, give it away. Give the whole lot away. Take your furniture, give it away. Everything, give it away. And go to Romania. Time and See, I've been praying, Lord, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere for you for a long, long time. And I meant it. But see, when he said it, I went, Lord, I'll go anywhere, but don't send me there. This is the truth. And I was walking over the park down the shore road in Belfast and he told me to do it. And I says, Lord, please tell Alison before I get home. And when I got home, the Lord had already spoken to her and she's sitting in tears in the house. Not because she had to give it away, because the Lord revealed himself to her. We give everything away. We went with a couple of suitcases, a couple of wee uh, presents that were what, uh, pr- pr- particularly precious to us for wedding presents. And off I went with a couple of suitcases, got on the plane, and we left them went to Romania. Would you do it? Well, what if he's asking you a little thing then? Come and give me yourself. Just give me you. Just you. I just want you. 
Would you do it? And I'll tell you the truth, it's easier to give your possessions than it is just to give yourself. Because you have to live with yourself every day. You have to die every day. You have to surrender every day. This material world, it will vanish away. But listen, we have a mansion. We have a house we're going to be clothed with. We're going to be in the resurrection. But where will we be? We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. May God bless his word to all of us this morning. And folks, you know me. It comes to me first. I've been living this for weeks now. I've been feeling, and what me to say, miserable. Not because of, of the give this or do that, no. Miserable in the sense that I realize that before a holy God, before a holy God, I am nothing. But I'm grateful that he loves me in spite of me. And he's made me one of his sons. God bless us this morning.